The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. I don't want you rehearsing with my husband and me. Hello to you, too. Did you hear what I said? I don't want you rehearsing with us. Sure, I heard you. I just don't believe you. I don't care if you believe me or not. I'm telling you the truth. The truth? The truth is you want me there and not to rehearse. You're a barbarian, McCoy. Absolutely, Mrs. Adams. Just stay away from me. You looked in the mirror lately? You're looking settled. Married. Is that the way you've always imagined it, Mrs. Adams? Let's get this straight, Mr. McCoy. I love my husband. An admirable quality in a wife. And I don't like you. Oh, yeah? Then why are you still here talking to me? Here I am, Mrs. Adams. I thought you said you didn't like me. I don't. Oh, then. You gonna tell me to go away? I don't hear anything. I still don't hear anything. I'm confused. I, I still don't hear anything. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, February 11th, 2016. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on WBCQ 5.11 Omegahertz. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. So apparently I was wrong. Turns out, the Jin Gomeshi trial is, in fact, just like the Cosby trial, and I previously said on this show that they had nothing to do with one another. How ironic. I'll explain what I mean as today's show progresses. Welcome. Our broad theme today is about sex and the sexes. Feminism, sexual assault charges in the courts, Gian Gomeshi, Bill Cosby, and the differing views that men and women have on moral grounds about sex. It's a veritable clash of the sexes, politically, socially, and personally. But before we begin our journey today into this minefield of discussing uncomfortable sexual issues, don't forget that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ 5.110 MHz, and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org. Now, I don't know about you, <laughs> but in the context of our given discussion today, the events of the past week and a half have been completely staggering, unexpected, and, and it compelled us to change our originally planned show for today, actually. Because the significance of what has just happened cannot be left on the back burner, regardless of the ultimate legal wranglings. Some stunning testimonies brought out in a court of law at the end of last week on Friday and again at the beginning of this week on Monday, by which time the three complainants filing charges against Gian Gomeshi have all been pretty well demonstrated to be liars. <laughs> Is that too strong a word at this early point in the story? 
It's certainly a word I heard being used on the media coverage of the event, and the Crown's case against the defendant had pretty much collapsed already at the end of last week. Since Gomeshi's case came into public view, it's been hard to ignore, and believe me, I've tried, how strongly feminists like our own Megan Walker in London, Ontario, have insisted that the Gomeshi and Cosby case are about the same thing. You know, like Gloria Allred in the U.S., feminists have presented the image of people like Gomeshi and Cosby in the light of being both, you know, rich and powerful men. You know, we're being told that that's what they are, and that they're using women for their sexual pleasure without those women's consent, and who are able to avoid being prosecuted because of all the money they have and the power they have, and because of the technicalities of things like the statute of limitations. Now, (laughs) beware of this. As a generality, in the context of feminism, all of these um, are political assertions. They have absolutely nothing to do with establishing the guilt or innocence of anyone involved in a particular case. One of the main, or one of the reasons I earlier dismissed the Gomeshi case as being similar to the Cosby case, I said it wasn't, was that I assumed that the complainants in the Gomeshi case had provided authorities with enough evidence to proceed on a legitimate case of, of you know, sexual assault and, and, and the other charges, a condition that had never been met in the Cosby case until this past December 31st, and even that's doubtful. However, I drew no conclusions on the matter of anyone's guilt or innocence, since I had nothing but the published allegations to go on. Now, when it came to Gomeshi, I knew very little and was at least assured that it was being dealt with in a court of law, not in the uncivilized manner to which Cosby was being subjected. On the other hand, uh, yeah, I drew a, a lot of a lot of conclusions on the Cosby case, about which I knew a fair amount, and which was being openly discussed and debated in the court of public opinion. Like, I'm shocked I, I was even doing that. And thanks to Slate.com, I had a a starting point from which to investigate the complainants against Cosby and the credibility of their stories. And after reviewing at least two dozen of them over many hours spanning several past broadcasts of this show, on the basis of their own stories and what little evidence there was to corroborate or support their stories, I mean, there was no way I could consider their allegations against Cosby worth even repeating, let alone pursuing. So there I was, you know, giving the benefit of the doubt to Gomeshi's three accusers, and it now appears that on this count I was wrong and the feminists were right. So yay for me for being wrong and shame on them for being right. In this case, I should have listened to the feminists who who did insist that the Gomeshi case was like the Bill Cosby case. Turns out it was. I guess where I was right and have still continued to be right in saying that the Gomeshi case is not like the Cosby case, is that at least until December 31st, when Cosby was formally charged with uh, something no one's really clear about, check those charges out, they're kind of nebulous, Cosby was being tried in the court of public opinion, whereas at least Gomeshi was being tried in the court of law. And that, to me, at the time, was all that mattered when I asserted that the two of them had nothing to do with each other. And now after the evidence is heard in the Gomeshi case, it turns out they have a deeper parallel after all. So let's get into the case itself for those who may not have heard about this case or who, like me, were not following it particularly closely. 
Let, let me briefly summarize what I understand to be the situation based on what's happened, and we'll certainly investigate the details, the details of this much more in the future. But for now, I'm going to rely on the, some of the media coverage and what I've heard on, on the radio, and we'll pr- be providing some extra links for you that go along with this show. Now, on February 1st of this month, the court trial against uh, Gian Gomeshi commenced in Toronto, Ontario, and as Christy Blatchford reported in February 2nd's National Post, and I quote, The 48-year-old former host of Q on CBC Radio and before that of the CBC TV show Play is pleading not guilty to four counts of sexual assault and one of choking, the charges involving three women. Two of those sex assault charges, the first of which allegedly occurred in December 2002, and the second in January 2003, relate to the first complainant. And then Eileen Donnelly at the National Post reports in the same day's paper, quote, The witness, whose identity is protected by a publication ban, this is the first witness, testified that, quote, she decided to see him again after his sudden grabbing of her hair very, very hard on her previous encounter with him. She thought maybe he just didn't understand his own strength. Upon their next encounter, she said again, Gomeshi grabbed her hair harder this time, and then she said he punched her three times on the right side of her head. When Gomeshi realized she was crying, he told her she should go, the witness said. She never reported the incident because she said she thought no one would listen to her. Again, reports Christy Blatchford. The witness's testimony was shredded by significant inconsistencies revealed in cross-examination by Gomeshi's lead lawyer, Marie Heinen. Among those inconsistencies were the car described in great detail by the complainant, even details about her hair being pulled. So all these details I just can't get into on today's show because we could spend the whole hour just running into all the details, but we've got all that stuff for you online. Then comes a second complainant, this one with a name, Lucy de Couture, again from Christy Blatchford's coverage on February 6th. Quote, It was, as it turns out, just this Thursday, shortly before she stepped into the witness box, that the Couture, for the very first time, told Toronto Police and Crown Prosecutors Mike Callaghan and Corey Langdon that after Gomeshi allegedly choked her and slapped her hard in the summer of 2003, she sent him flowers when she got back home to Halifax. De Couture had never before mentioned the flowers or a plethora of other things, such as her repeated attempts to meet Gomeshi in what could be fairly called her pursuit of him. De Couture, being a capable actor who starred on Trailer Park Boys, has mentioned it so smoothly it sounded as though she'd always been upfront about it. Interesting. The Couture was a uh, was love bombing the 48-year-old Gomeshi too in the weeks and months after the purported assault. It was on July 4, 2003, that Couture claims Gomeshi, while she was at his house, suddenly kissed her, put his hand on her throat, and cut off her air, and slapped her hard three times across the face. But the next day, she emailed him, told told him she was, quote, literally changing my mind in a good way, I think, end quote, and challenging her, and then said, quote, you kicked my ass last night, and that makes me want to F your brains out, period, tonight, end quote. Now, this is fairly unequivocal stuff, writes uh, uh, the, the newspaper, but the couture unequivocated nonetheless. This is Christy Blatchford. Quote, Mr. Gomeshi and I never had sex. This, this makes me look like I had an interest in him romantically. No way was it like I liked it when you choked me. No way. 
I wrote the email. I don't remember writing it, but regardless, Mr. Gomeshi choked me with no consent, slapped me with no consent. This doesn't change the fact that he assaulted me. I remember being attracted to Mr. Gomeshi, de Couture said, but it doesn't change the fact that women can be assaulted by men. And, well, you get where that goes, and then they cut it off. And I'm just thinking, wow. Even those terms do not relate to a personal assault. Those are very political terms and very generalized and collectivist, uh, you know, that women can be assaulted by men. Well, yeah, they can, but what's that got to do with your case? Um, you know, oh, choking was okay, but the issue is, was it consensual? And now you're saying it wasn't. You've got a hard case ahead of you when you're, when you're admitting things like this. I mean, just wow. Then, of course, a third unidentified complainant came forth on Monday, and things only got worse. Turns out she and the last complainant, the Couture, had texted each other over 5,000 times prior to the trial, and you can guess the rest. It's, it's worse. No, no, you can't. <laughs> it's worse than anything you can think of. She even admitted misleading the police. I've only touched on the tip of this iceberg of deceit. But you can hear all of the lurid details and much of the live news reaction to it via our bonus audios that accompany this broadcast online. Got a couple of Andy Utman's shows on CJBK, which in turn included some live CTV news coverage of the court event, and it was an event as it was happening on each of the days. You won't believe your ears. Listen to some of the legal and social commentaries. Listen to some of the callers calling in, many of whom refuse to believe that Gomeshi could possibly be innocent. This is not going away for a long time, folks, and you can bet we'll be putting another spotlight on this specific case in the not-too-distant future. But for now, we'll be turning our immediate attention to one of the major catalysts of all of this deceit and mischief about and against innocent men, the cult of feminism. That discussion will commence right after this. We've got to do that for Sloan. You know, these last few weeks playing with you have been great. I, I never played so well in my whole life. I know they've been good for Reedy. She's got so much more command on stage. Yeah, she's become quite an actress. I think it's all the time with you. <laughs> you think so? Of course, there was the famous Flamingo Cove murder. That was here? In this room. There was a murder here? Oh, yeah. Jim Dandy. You never heard of that? Mm-mm. Oh, is it a singer or something, right? Fell in love with this trumpet player. They killed her husband. One of them did, anyway. Right during a show. And then each one swore the other did it. Right up to the very end. Well, who did do it? Nobody knows. They both went to the electric chair, each swearing the other one did to their dying day. Just one of the many colorful tales of the Flamingo Cove. Available for sale or lease. Weddings, bar mitzvahs, gatherings of all types. Well, I guess I better lock up. Sad. What's sad? The 
that murder. Sad to think that an innocent person had to die just because she fell for the wrong guy. Wait a second, time. wait a second, wait a second. There's a page missing out of my copy of the script. What do you mean the wrong guy? They never solved the Flamingo Cove murder, Maddie. It is entirely possible that he was the right guy and she was the wrong girl. Yeah, sure, I suppose. What do you mean, you suppose? I suppose she could have killed him, but I'm sure he did it. How can you be sure? Common sense. Common sense. Common sense. There's no talking to you. You can talk to no, me. No, I can't. Yes, you can. No, I can't. Yes, you can. No, I can't. And you want to know why I can't? I'm on the edge of my Because seat. of the way you look at things. You look at everything like a woman first and then a person second. What does that mean? I said what I meant, and I meant what I said. You don't look at a situation objectively. You don't look at a situation like an individual. You look at a situation like somebody appointed you guardian for your whole damn sex. That's not true. What do you mean, whole damn sex? See? Addison, for your information, I think of myself as an individual first and a woman second in that order. You just keep saying that. Maybe you'll talk yourself into it. What does that mean? You just accuse a man of murder. Of murder, Maddie. Based on what? Based on the fact that he was a man. Addison? Clearly, he had more reasons to kill him than she did. Name one. Her. He wanted her. He had to kill her husband to have her. That's crazy. Why buy the cow when you get the milk for free? What? You heard me. You're an animal. And you're a sexist. What? You're a sexist. You know what a sexist is? Of course I know what a sexist is. I'm looking at one. So am I. You think the boyfriend killed the husband just because he was a man, and that makes you a sexist. I am not a sexist. Oh, you are I sexist. I am not a sexist. sexist. I'm not speaking to you. R2. I am not. I'm not. R2. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Not another word. Not another sound. Not another peep until we get back to the office. <sighs> oh, ouch. You put Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd in a room together, and the sparks just start flying. Talk about a tough act to follow. If you've never had the pleasure of watching the 1980s TV series Moonlighting, well, you just got a taste of what it was like. It's a ride like that from beginning to end. You know, I could just picture men everywhere all silently nodding their heads in full agreement and support with what Willis just had the nerve to say. (laughs) But too many of them are too wimped out to take control of the situation, which, contrary to popular feminist mythology is actually something I think a lot more women desire in a man than one would think. Yeah, I know, I can hear all the feminists of all genders shouting, oh, sexist, misogynist, jerk. Yeah, yeah. hello hello there, Megan. Um, so here's my question. Why do feminists, of all genders and sexes, I might add, keep sticking to their lies and false beliefs, even in the face of evidence refuting them? I mean, feminism has become a cult of lies, all woven together in in this web of misdirection and obfuscation. They're certainly not not on any remotely, you know, any remote journey resembling a search for truth, are they? They want to win. They don't want to know. And they don't want us to know either. And it would be nice, you know, liars have to be held accountable for their lying, and it's not an easy thing to do, because it's not just a matter of law or of punishment. I think it's more about we the people. We have to learn how to spot the rot, as uh, as um, Lord Monkton said. You know, when we when we encounter it, from the very beginning, as I as I began investigating the Cosby situation, I have put it on record that one, it only takes one valid provable act of sexual assault to make a case, and if that should ever happen, it would in no way validate any of the other complainants, and. Second, I would certainly be supportive of a proper punishment should such a thing have happened. I certainly wouldn't keep denying, for example, Cosby's proven guilt, or even Gomeshi's had that been done. 
And finally, you know, the, the principle of of innocent until proven guilty is nothing to be cast aside in the interests of feminist agendas or anyone's feelings about an issue that they can't possibly be informed upon, for heaven's sakes. Of course, all anyone hears repeated in the media about these cases is the allegations and accusations. What I find most interesting about the current state of media affairs is the deafening silence and vacuum that accompanies any suggestion of judging these women in the court of public opinion, <laughs> you know, the moral the dimension. It's almost like as if, gee, oh shucks, Gomeshi or Cosby or whoever is not guilty. Oh darn, you know. <laughs> you don't hear anybody passing a proper moral judgment that sounds anything like, why those lying female you-know-what, they should be prosecuted, they should be going to jail. Because if they were men, I think we'd be hearing a different tune. I really do. I, maybe I'm over overreacting to this, but that's just the way it's all flowing. Now, during Andy Utman's CJBK interview with London lawyer Gordon Cudmore last Friday, and with law student Perry Douglas, who was in the studio with them, uh, by the way, you can hear this on our site, Cudmore, who had just at that moment returned from being in the Toronto courtroom, commented, quote, A lot of people want to believe the alleged victim. They do, replied Andy, citing some of the callers on his show that day, uh, to wit, and you, again, you can hear these online. Uh, there's Anne, who says, My question is the one thing I'm not hearing. Is Are all these emails technically valid? Has Gomeshi tampered with them? I hope the Crown gets an, an IP expert to verify the authenticity of all these emails being introduced, because I can't imagine they wouldn't do that. Or Jen, uh, call her Jen. I still stick with Megan Walker. Megan Walker? What's, what's Megan Walker got to do with the guilt or innocence of Gomeshi? <laughs> so that's my opinion, she says. But the thing I was going to say, did he apologize to her, talking about Gomeshi, when the incident happened? Did Gomeshi apologize to her? If he would have apologized, that would have changed her opinion of him also. <laughs> what the heck is going on in these callers' minds? Thank goodness for caller Scott, who uh, commented on all these callers, quote, If you do not know the details of the case, keep your mouth shut. The news reports have already presented the facts, and Lucy admitted to writing the emails, etc. I mean, it, it's, just, it's just amazing what people will refute, even as they hear actual information. I don't think they can tell the difference between that and the allegations. But one other caller to Andy's show got my attention, and it was a caller, John, who said, and I quote, I think that Bill Cosby should check this case and maybe use Gomeshi's defense team to get him off. To which Andy replied, well, there were 50 women who stepped forward on that one, so I don't begin to make any comparisons, end quote. I'm thinking, yeah, Andy. <laughs> uh, and there were three women who stepped forward to accuse Gomeshi, and all three were found not credible. So why would 50 be more credible. What is it with this you know, worship of numbers instead of facts, instead of truth? All of a sudden, numbers and allegations and people who are motivated by very clear motivations, we just admit all, dismiss all that. I, I, you know, it gets me going. <laughs> and he said, women everywhere are in a sense cheering for the alleged victim on the stand, you know, Andy says. And he asked, what were the emotions you were feeling as you watched the Titanic go down? You had to feel sympathy. And he asked this of the female law student, Perry Douglas, in the studio. 
And he didn't ask Gord Cudmore what his emotions were about Gomeshi's situation. You know, just women have to be asked what they feel about the other women in a case. But she replied, quote, As a woman and as a feminist, I didn't have a problem with what went on in the court. I think it was good for the justice system the way it came out. But as Andy illustrated, as a feminist, activists like Megan Walker would strongly disagree. Explained Andy, the woman is not on trial. It's it's only about the man's behavior, argues the Crown's royal, uh, the Crown's uh, <laughs> lawyer. And Megan Walker made the same argument, says Andy. She said, quote, all that counts is what the man did. And when I asked Megan, do we believe women regardless of the other evidence, she said, I deal with women every day and they have all kinds of trauma and they forget things and they get things confused. What the Crown needed to have, and still should have, is a counselor explaining to the judge what these women are going through and how they shouldn't worry too much if they get some of the details wrong. (laughs) I cannot believe that Megan Walker has any credibility. I, I, I just done. That wasn't the issue today, replied Douglas. She, Lucy de Couture, wasn't credible. Years of contact she didn't disclose. And then Gord Cudmore gets into the conversation and says it wasn't her behavior after the fact that's the problem. It's the fact that she consistently lied about it. To which Andy replied, so what is this woman's agenda? Whoa, there's a dicey one. And that, Andy, is the question of the day, isn't it? But... You know, I disagree with with Gord Cudmore on on that observation. I do think that Ducouter's behavior after the fact was a problem. It was merely compounded by the additional problem of lying. And I think whether you lie about it or tell them in advance that you're still dating the guy after and you're still in love with him and still sending him love letters, I think that has an impact whether you've given it voluntarily or not. Once you know it, you know it. Now here's a direct quote from feminist Megan Walker, quote, But these women are not on trial, and fundamentally, it's like the Bill Cosby situation. Even if there were no charges laid against Gian Gomeshi, or even if he's found not guilty, that does not mean that these women are lying or are not credible. What it means is that it's very difficult and traumatic to go through this, and of course, their memories may be off, particularly given that this is around a dozen or so years ago, but also the trauma involved, end quote. Yeah, a dozen or so years ago, that's why this shouldn't even be in a courtroom, should never even be allowed near the place. But as Gord Cudmore notes, who was in the courtroom, number one, her memory wasn't off about all the negative things she had to say about Gomeshi. Her memory was very clear, solid, and she reinforced it a number of times. Where her memory failed was with regards to anything that supported Gomeshi. I don't think there was much doubt in the courtroom that she was lying, he notes. Her motive? According to Cudmore, who was in the courtroom and speculated, she was very career-oriented and wanted Gomeshi to help her with her career. Sound familiar? It was the fame. She wanted the celebrity status. And interestingly, she's the only one who didn't ask for a publication ban. And Douglas agreed and added that the couture was the one who was pursuing Gomeshi as evidenced by the teeming amount of correspondence that she sent, including a handwritten letter. The unbelievable things that are being said in you know, public forums by feminists everywhere about these cases was and is, quite frankly, unconscionable to me. I still can't wrap my head around it. The fact I can accept, yes, but the idea that there are so many people 
you just can't trust to make objective observations or conclusions is I, I find increasingly hard to accept. I've expressed my revulsion at the idea of being able to accuse an individual of a criminal and a action and crime in a public forum without having been subject to any form of due process. This just astounds me. Nor does having two, five, ten, thirty, or even fifty such accusers in such a manner justify any single one of them. I stick with that right to the end. So, to anyone who's ready to throw out the time-tested principle of innocent until proven guilty, or of the necessity of settling these issues in a court of law, not in the court of public opinion, take heed at what we've just witnessed, and try to be objective about it. Because, until we know the true facts, as much as they can be ascertained, then we really know nothing at all. Morning. Morning. Did you call me last night? Last night? Must have dreamed it. Thought about our little disagreement yesterday? What little disagreement was that? The Flamingo Cove murder. I hadn't given it a second thought. Me either. Still, you get all worked up over a question neither one of us will ever be able to answer. Yeah, I can answer it. She had a plan from the beginning. She set him up just like the bartender said, used him, then tossed him away. I know what happened. It's what always happens. He took advantage of a good woman. She used him. He betrayed her. She sold him down the river. She loved him. He would have done anything for her. Well? Another day, another dollar. Yeah. Animal. Sexist. I have discovered, and the media has been covering, this something on, on Tumblr. It's a Tumblr account. I don't really do Tumblr. I guess Tumblr is like Instagram, right? It's just pictures, and you have your own account. And so apparently somebody started an account called Male Feminists of Tinder at Tumblr. And so they've been going across Tinder and finding men who say that they are feminists and putting their profiles up. So, for example, Sean, 29, he is six miles away and says, I only pay for myself on the first date. That's out of a respect for both yourself and me. If that's offensive to you and you're not interested in why I'd say so, we're not likely to agree on much. If you see a potential partner as your equal, please talk to me. Now remember, okay, people who use Tinder generally are looking for a hookup. They're not generally looking for a long-term marital relationship, and they're certainly not looking for uh, a, a long-term happy marital relationship. They're usually looking for a quick nail. That's, that's pretty much what, they're, what, what Tinder is for. At least this is what I have been told by those who have used it. So here's this guy, and, and this seems like a pretty good excuse, by the way. If, if, if this is how – when I say feminism has worked out to the benefit of pig guys – Proof positive right here, right? I mean, <laughs> this guy, Sean, 29, he's saying that as, a, as a, out of respect for you, he won't pay for your dinner. <laughs> I'll just tell you, when I, when I was dating my wife, and we, you know, I took her out to dinner for our first date. Um, and actually, I took her out to, to uh, coffee for our first date. I took her out to dinner for our second date. And then on our third date, we went out to dinner, and I paid for dinner. And then we went to sort of like a tea garden. And my wife insisted on paying, and I actually got angry at her. And I said... I'm the man. That's my job. I'm paying. And she and she later, now she'll say, yeah, I'm kind of embarrassed I did that because it was really I didn't want to be offensive to you. And I was like, well, you sort of more offended me by suggesting that it's your job to pay on a date that I asked you out on. But feminism has hurt everyone, and it's made either, either 
opportunistic jackasses or pansies out of men. That's basically what feminism has done. It used to be that women trained men to be better. Men are savages and then women civilize us. That's, that's essentially the truth, right? You're civilized by, by a couple of things in your life. You're civilized by mom and dad, and then you are finally civilized by your wife. These, the, mom and dad have to do most of the work, and then when your wife comes in, she teaches you why it is that mom and dad were so focused on doing that work in the first place. Well, we've, as a society, we've gotten rid of the importance of mom and dad, and now we're getting rid of the reason why men need to be protective of women. And so what is that? when men are liberated from having to protect women, that means that they tend to victimize women. If you don't have to protect, men are binary. Men who don't protect women tend to victimize them. There's not really a neutral, right? Either you protect women and their value or you victimize them. And so one of these two things, maybe these people are delusional enough to believe they're protecting women by pansying out, but let's look at a couple more of these because they're sort of amusing. So Jeff, 25, feminist, etc. I want to lie on your bed and ask you difficult questions. All right, so there's a, there's a man who, who obviously has really grasped what feminism is all about. Josh, 24, Come dismantle the patriarchy with me. <laughs> Will 30, doing a yoga pose. Feminist in the street, misogynist in the bed. <laughs> and this is what these guys are doing. And, and there's Adam 25 wearing a shirt that says feminist. By the way, ladies, if you would date this guy who's a, whose shirt says feminist, that is a guy who, I'm, no, way, no polite way to put this, is going to cry during sex. There's just no way that that's, that's that right there. Any guy who wears a shirt that says feminist is just pathetic because feminism, modern feminism is not about equality for women. It's about female superiority in every aspect of American life and male inferiority and subordination. That's what feminism has become about. And subordination of reality to utopian vision where, where femininity is better than masculinity. And they're not even equal. One is superior to the other. So that's something I hate. The male feminists of Tinder, although I will say some of them are, are very funny. You're listening to Just Right on WBCQ 5.110 MHz, where we're talking, t- taking a look at the theme of uh, feminism in general. And that was the voice of Ben Shapiro we just heard, American conservative political commentator, columnist, author, radio talk show host, and attorney from his January 7th, 2016 broadcast. Listening to him, I was reminded a bit of, of a book called Ten Stupid Things Women Do to Mess Up Their Lives, written by Dr. Laura Schlesinger, and I remember once hearing her on her radio show lament that men were buying her book to date and bed women. So it was almost the same phenomena at play. Now, I, 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 I tend to agree with most of what Shapiro had to say, certainly about feminism's objectives. Not sure I totally share his opinion about men being, you know, either or, either pro-women or, or anti-woman, the way he put it there. Um, and in particular about which sex is civilizing which sex. Uh, with all due respect, I think maybe he's got it a bit backwards or a little out of focus a bit. seems to me that what's at play in a committed relationship is that each party in that relationship has come to sexually value the other. That, that I think, is the source of the so-called civilizing influence. It's sex itself. It's, 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 the, it's the bond. Sex is, you know, the very thing that most people would blame on, on the uncivilized behavior of particularly young people is the same thing that causes those people to settle down and create other values, like children, like property, and other issues that, that, that so often take priority to the sexual side of a relationship. And, of course, that can also be a source of problems. Now, the word civilized, I think, is being used rather loosely here. Uh, 
I've always defined civilization as a culture that has prohibited the use of force or fraud as a legitimate means of obtaining either consent or cooperation from someone. What men and women can do is both learn from each other and teach each other. Uh, I think what they have to gain from each other is knowledge and understanding. I don't know that I'd call that civilization as such. All behavior is what has to be civilized. And all behavior is learned, including sexual attitudes. The feminist movement is obviously acutely aware of this reality and, and uses it upon those unaware of this constant truth to mold attitudes in a way that gains them the most political power, money, and influence for their movement. I mean, that's to be expected. But here's a myth buster, at least from my point of view. Sexual attitudes are not determined by sex or gender. I don't think that's actually the source of them. I think the sexual experience itself is. But not the social and interpersonal attitudes, meaning how one cult or one either sees the other sex or even perceives one's own sex. I mean, these are cultural things. If you doubt this for a moment, just compare the sexual attitudes of, say, men or women, for that matter, both in Eastern or Mideastern countries or cultures, and compare them with the attitudes of North American culture. You might be surprised to learn that in some respects, some of those cultures would consider certain aspects of North American sexual attitudes as being rather prudish or Victorian, while in others, unacceptably offensive or inappropriate. Even among individuals within similar groups, one person's sexual pleasure or excitement can be another person's sexual nightmare or turnoff. So... Needless to say, human sexual relationships are extremely complex. But as I say, some things are black and white. And one of those things is the issue of lying to promote one's objective or one's goal or one's cause. It's not the first time we've raised that question on this show. But isn't it, don't you seem to get the impression that lying seems to be the new normal? <laughs> I mean, for, for most left-wing lobby groups, and particularly feminists, uh, that's where I see the whole issue of lying coming to the fore most often. And I think that should tell us everything we need to know about the legitimacy of their causes and so many of their objectives. From my standpoint, I would say that feminism is an uncivilizing force in our society. It is a, it's a form of collectivism and subjectivism, not individualism and objectivity of others as persons, you know, as Bruce Willis so rightly distinguished earlier in the show today. It's not about men versus women. It's about persons and persons, right? So up next, from the Rebels.media's David Menzies, we learn that a certain myth has grown around the Super Bowl game, one involving feminists and violence against women. And when we return on the other side of our bumper, more on the differing attitudes that men and women have about sex. We'll be back. Just make certain to power up your BS detector in the days ahead. The reason? It's usually around this time of year that radical feminists make public pronouncements that the Super Bowl is a catalyst for a 40% increase in domestic violence. After all, if Hubby's team fails to cover the spread. He, he needs a scapegoat, right? And there's no better accessible target than his terrified wife or girlfriend. It sounds horrific, doesn't it? The idea that there are bully boys out there who would take out their football frustrations 
by physically beating their significant others? It's disgusting. Except for one inconvenient truth. The allegation that domestic violence spikes during the Super Bowl is, well, Super Bull. The super slander dates back to 1993 when a group called FAIR, an acronym for Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, decided to draw the attention to the problem of domestic violence by persuading NBC to run an anti-wife-beating advertisement during the game. To bolster its case, FAIR sent out a press release that stated Super Sunday was, quote, one of the worst days of the year for violence against women in the home, end quote. Many journalists gobbled up the propaganda hook, line, and stinker. Robert Lipsight wrote in the New York Times that the Super Bowl should be renamed the Abuse Bowl. Now, it should be noted that FAIR is a liberal media watchdog group with a very vocal feminist wing. That's okay. Here's what isn't okay. Lying. Indeed, the idea that spousal abuse spikes on Super Sunday is a complete fabrication. Thank goodness for Ken Ringle, a reporter for the Washington Post, unlike so many others in the media, Ringle actually decided to check out the sources cited by Fair. His conclusion? The Super Bowl domestic violence connection is pure fantasy. For example, a source cited by Fair allegedly said the following, quote, Super Bowl Sunday is the one day in the year when hotlines, shelters, and other agencies that work with battered women get the most reports and complaints of domestic violence, end quote. Ringle drilled down to find that the source for this quotation was supposedly Charles Patrick Ewing, a professor at the University at Buffalo and author of Battered Woman Who Kill. But guess what, folks? When the reporter directly contacted Ewing, the professor said he never made such a statement. In fact, Ewing said he doubts any credible data exists regarding spousal abuse in football games. Oops. As well, a 2007 study analyzing patterns of women fleeing domestic abuse found that the highest intake rates of women with children at shelters does not coincide with the Super Bowl. Rather, the worst periods actually coincide with breaks in the school calendar year, such as Christmas time, spring break, and summer vacation. Oops again. Yet even though Fair's 23-year-old study has been debunked by everyone from law enforcement to even the very people quoted in their own study, the Super Bowl domestic violence lie just won't go away. To this day, this super slander still gets passed off by the usual suspects as an entrenched fact. Moral of the story, as the old saying goes, don't believe everything you read, especially if that content was manufactured by those on the radical left. For the Rebel.media, I'm David the Menzoid Menzies. Hey, babe. Hi. Where are the kids? They're my mom's. <clears throat> oh, they are? I thought that we were going to go down to do... Wow! Oh, hi. Wow. Look at you. Too much. No, it's great. I was thinking. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the kids, Um, how long are they? They're sleeping over. Yes! Because I was thinking that Whoa. maybe we could celebrate just the two of us. I get it. That's a great idea. This is like the best idea you've ever had. <laughs> you look amazing. Do you own these underwear? Because mm -hmm. those, I've never seen those before. Mm -hmm. This is so exciting. 
I'm so excited right now. <laughs> and now you're on the bed. This is great. I love where this is headed. You're narrating. It's so hot. She said encouragingly. <laughs> Get over here and take these roller skates off of me. I love it when you talk that way about your roller skates. Hmm? What? Too much in my own head. I think I've been dreaming about this moment for mm -hmm. so long when we could like drop everything yeah. and just properly stop one right, another right, right. instead of when you're like mm -hmm. half conscious mm -hmm. and can't resist. You know? You think I want to resist? Of course I know that you want to have sex. Sometimes I just wonder if you want to have sex that much. I do. I do yeah. want to have sex that much, but sometimes I just feel like you know, you're tired or you're stressed out, and maybe, mm. I don't know, I wonder sometimes if you're still, you know, attracted to me. Are you kidding? Instant boner. That's what I always say about you. My wife, instant boner giver. You'll <laughs> <laughs> just be a minute. Okay. What is happening? It's okay. Is it possible that we have somehow forgotten how to have sex? Do not say that. Because we used to be great at this. Yeah, we were. We were. I was like Shaquille O'Neal in the sack. I had that kind of game. What? Shaquille O'Neal is a weird comparison. I'm just trying to say that I was a dominant yeah, no, player. I, I would have gone with Derek Fisher for you. Derek Fisher? Yeah, he's a great player. Uh, okay, I feel like we're trying to say the same thing. Okay. You were like LeBron James. Oh, thanks, honey. We were like Derek Fisher and LeBron James having sex. I'm saying we were world-class, and now, what is happening? I don't know, I mean, we're older, we're parents. Yeah, but we're not dead. I still think about sex all the time. I know, I use your computer. Oh, the porn. Yeah. You and I used to watch porn together all the time. And I still watch porn every once in a while. You do? Yeah, but the quality of writing has really gone downhill. I like it best when it feels like they're really in love. Yeah, I feel like we're getting different things out of porn. Maybe. I just watch it for the naked women having sex. And the porn guys don't like getting away or anything? Don't even see them. They're, they're completely invisible to me. Should we watch some porn? <sighs> Boy, talk about a classic example of how men and women view sexual things differently. That was from the movie Sex Tape. And kind of illustrates what our theme is for the final quarter of our show today. However, you know, a couple of polls take the theme we just heard to the next level and split the gender lines along what they call morality. Morality splits on gender lines. Poll finds men, women at odds on sexual topics, reads the article out of the National Post on January 13th by Alexandra Heck. And she writes, and I quote, We've heard it all before. Men and women can't agree on anything. And a new poll suggests that might be true. Men and women have different moral stances on such divisive issues as pornography, sex between high school students, keeping a handgun in the house, and avoiding taxes, an Angus Reid poll finds. And the most dramatic differences between the genders lie in sexually based topics. Well, surprise, surprise. 52% of men said watching porn is morally acceptable, while women strongly disagree. 56% of women stated that watching porn is unacceptable. 
Now, you know, when I read something like this, the first question I want to know is, unacceptable to them or for others? Uh, without knowing that question, I'm not sure where that stands as a moral issue or whether they would think that should be a rule across the board, because I think that's the more interesting issue. But that this doesn't distinguish. The article continues. Men also find buying or selling sex more acceptable than do women. 35% of men think buying sex is okay, and 36% find selling sex is fine. Women come in at 16 and 17% respectively. Sashi Curl, senior vice president of the Angus Reid Institute, says the gender divide on sexual topics is common. It's consistent on issues of sex, she said. It's a striking gender gap, but it's one we've seen before. And they note that a lot of things make up the moral codes of Canadians. The study, which polled 1,530 Canadians December 10th to 14th, with a margin of error of plus or minus 2.5, yeah, that, that proves a lot of stuff, uh, also found that age is a defining factor. Curl said the majority of women over 55 see watching porn as immoral, while fewer than half of women in the 18 to 34 age group agree. In other words, more than half of the women in that group think porn's okay. On the other hand, young men in the same age cohort mostly agreed that watching porn was acceptable. The poll reveals that men are also more likely to find telling jokes about race more acceptable. And the same applies to having an affair. Most Canadians see, uh, see an affair as morally unacceptable. Although 8% of men polled find it is acceptable. Isn't that interesting? On the question of guns, 29% of men find it all right to keep a handgun in the house. Only 16% of women feel the same. The study also probed feelings uh, of such issues as gambling, tax avoidance, abortion, capital punishment, and assisted suicide. It's found that a little more than half of those polled see assisted suicide as morally acceptable. About 40% favor abortion, 10% see not declaring income to avoid paying taxes as not a moral issue, and only 49% of both men and women see eating meat as morally acceptable. <laughs> that one stops. 49% of both men and women see eating meat as morally acceptable. That means 51% do not? Seriously? Moral, morally acceptable? You see, this is where I'm getting into a lot of trouble with, with what they're calling morality. More men than women saw gambling and the death penalty as morally acceptable. Another study conducted by Bertram Garonsky, a professor of psychology at the University of Texas in Austin, found that men and women have different responses to moral questions. That study asked more than 6,000 subjects what they would do, faced with a moral dilemma, and found that both men and women consider the circumstances of a situation. The difference? Women are more likely to have a strong emotional response. Women are more likely to imagine the victim, said Rebecca Friesdorf, a PhD student at Wilfrid Laurier University, who worked on the project with Garonsky and Dr. Paul Conway, now an associate professor at Florida State University. It's interesting because that's exactly what Sybil Shepherd was, was saying in the moonlighting skit we heard earlier. You know, that poor woman trusting a man, she was the victim. And so they imagine the victim. Uh, 
Continuing the article here, noting the Angus Reid poll, Friesdorf said women might be more likely to morally oppose acts that cause harm, such as spanking and the death penalty. It could potentially be in part driven by the stronger emotional reaction they have, she said. Curl believes, uh, said she believes the gender divide is just one factor that determines one's moral identity. A lot of things make up the moral codes of Canadians, she said, and so ends the article in the National Post. Now, I expect to find that one featured in the National Post next giant, uh, uh, next um, junk science feature that they have every year or so. I, I personally don't regard the different attitudes that men and women have towards sex uh, as necessarily a matter of moral conflict but more of a difference in their sexual being as such. I mean, they're different beings. I've said it before on this show. Men and women experience sex itself quite differently, and this has been the source of much conflict between the sexes. Uh, You know, when one partner or the other assumes the other one's motivated in the same way as themselves, big mistake sometimes. It's a generality. Yes, men see sex as an end in itself. Women see sex as a means to some other end. Their priorities are not alike in this regard, and this is about motivation. And nor should those priorities be alike. Nor is one right, and nor is the other one wrong. But that's where the greater problem comes in. One of these perspectives of sexual motivation is being morally condemned. It's being considered wrong, and that's the male motivation. You know, when uh, Maddie and Addison were arguing in the moonlighting clip we played earlier, she claimed that the motivation for the man to murder the husband of the woman he wanted was the woman herself, you know, because that was an end in itself. And then, of course, uh, Bruce Willis, as Addison replies, well, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? (laughs) And then, then the fight starts. And it's a valid question. But the worst thing about these morality polls is that they imply morality is a subjective matter and that there are no absolutes. I'll say it again. Some things are black and white, and morality is exactly one of those things. Morality is a code of conduct, choosing between right and wrong in any given condition or circumstance. It's not a loose association or pattern of feelings. Uh, Those are the very things that are not necessarily moral. A a code of conduct is is what morality is, a a code by which you achieve your goals and objectives in life, how how you achieve your happiness. Uh, You know, for example, a code of conduct that prohibits the use of force or fraud in achieving those goals. These are all parts of what morality is about. As John McMurray so succinctly points out, not all feelings are justifiable. We have them, but that doesn't mean they're right. Feelings can be subject to reason and reality, just as logic and thinking must be. They have to be that way. You can be wrong in your feelings and in your logic and your thinking alike, just as you can be right. But you'll never know which until you take those beliefs or feelings and test them against the external constants of reality and reason. Yet that's the very process that feminists in particular have been asking to have ignored or made irrelevant. Women don't lie, they've been screaming ever since Cosby began his North American comedy tour a couple years ago. Uh, Women's groups are pretty much insisting that women's feelings be taken seriously, that their allegations just be taken seriously on the basis of an allegation, irrespective of how they relate to anything objective. That's the very theme that keeps recurring in this whole ongoing debate. 
So, you know, one is forced to ask, in light of these prejudices, how much these attitudes affect our justice system, particularly in sexual assault cases. And consider the effect in the court of public opinion. All these subjective judgments founded more on the baggage of the judger, <laughs> you know, what he's carrying around on his shoulders, than they are on the facts. And, and I think the way this whole debate's been going in public is almost evidence of our declining civilized behavior and the way that we should be approaching issues of this nature. We should be looking for the truth, not for one side to win over the other. Now, I've said from the beginning that the only issue in such cases is consent. Consent is a condition. It's not something that results from a single utterance of a word like even yes or even no or, or even in a single action. Uh, quote, all that matters is what the man did, not anything the woman said or did before or after an alleged attack, end quote. That was the essence of the Crown Lawyer's case against Gomeshi and is also the argument put forth by feminists like Gloria Allred and Megan Walker. A yes or no at any given point in time, even five minutes ago, doesn't necessarily mean a yes or no now or tomorrow. You know, in sales, never take no for an answer is practically a catechism in selling. That's why telephone solicitors keep calling you no matter how many times you keep hanging up and saying no. In fact, if you are in sales, you're all, I recall being taught that, that no does not necessarily mean no. It's simply an objection that has to be overcome by providing more facts or reasons for the sales prospect to be persuaded to say yes. I guess in sexual relationships, that practically defines a seduction process. The dance of resistance, attraction, and all those interplays that most women would describe, ironically, as being romantic not predatory, unless there's something else apparently to be gained by it. And I'm not talking about dismissing real cases. That's just not what we're dealing with here. Now, women are the primary victims of feminism and this new affirmative consent ideology that's being pushed from one end of this continent to the other. If, if the women who've accused Gomeshi or Bill Cosby should be found to be less than credible in taking their case to the court of law, just what do you suppose the effect of that will be on women who have serious and real claims to make against someone? You know, I don't see this as helping the cause of taking women seriously. There's another message coming out of the consequence of all of this. If it's a real and true morality that one is talking about, and if we are talking about the differences between men and women's morality, well, sorry, both men and women have no problem seeing eye to eye on common values and lines that should never be crossed. But when it comes to understanding each other sexually, <laughs> you know, in a truly empathic feeling way, uh, sorry, as far as I can see it, ne'er the twain shall meet. Um, Sex is a means to some other end for women. For men, it's an end in itself, as I say. When one sex expects the other to react or behave like they do, well, that's a formula for disappointment and frustration. Uh, well, fortunately for all of our listeners of both sexes, <laughs> listening to Just Right can be both a means to some other end or an end in itself. No conflict there at all. But our show is at an end for today. Hope we haven't caused any unnecessary conflicts in your world of relationships because we'd like to have you back intact again next week. Join us again then when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color. 
Color it to black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright Men's room I am not a sexist Not only are you a sexist But you are the sexiest sexist It has ever been my good fortune to satirize Satirize? Satirize, scrutinize, fantasize, etc, etc, etc. Ha <laughs>